We're on, we're on week number four of Seek. I'm very excited about what God is doing in our church. I'm thankful for people who pray and earnestly seek the Lord. The title of my message today is Up and Down. Now, the reason that we're seeking him in the first place and seeking God is that he's given us an invitation to do that. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will what? Find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Those are each one-time things. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. And of course, he, can, he tells us to keep on knocking, keep on seeking, keep going after him. If you don't seek him, you won't find him. If you don't seek an answer, you won't get an answer. If you're wanting peace, if you don't pursue peace, you won't get peace. And so Jesus has given us the invitation. Last week, Pastor Sam did just such a great job of describing how God is one who oversees all the seasons and stages of our life and how we can trust him. And if we allow him to move us where he wants to, to go, on a caravan or a group of vehicles, wherever it is, he knows where we're going to meet next and he knows the ultimate dream. And we can trust him. Turn to the person next to you and say, you can trust him. You can trust him. For us, seek is about more than an experience. It's about following him throughout life on hills and through valleys. In other words, it's not just an event, one moment. It's actually a series of events and changing contours of our life. How many of you, your life is very different today than it was 10 years ago? True. So your life has changed. And uh, that means that you go through many terrains, many experiences. Several years ago, Jody and I were asked to come and speak to the MKs in, in Mexico. MKs are missionary kids, and they had a retreat. And uh, that retreat happened to be in Puerto Vallarta, and that was a beautiful place. Thank you, Jesus. And so I said yes after much prayer and trepidation. I said, yes, let's go. So Jody and I, we flew in. Only we flew into the mainland because that was the cheaper flight into Guadalajara. And uh, one of our Emmanuel missionaries... Uh, Larry Gritzmacher picked us up from the airport, and we got in his SUV, and we headed for the mountains because Puerto Vallarta was on the other side of the mountains. And uh, as we went along, we got stopped several times. There were military um, uh, checkpoints that we got stopped, and there were machine guns out and everything, and my heart rate went up, and you just felt a little weird, and are we safe? And, and Larry said, we're safe, and, you know, we're, we're okay. So the, we get past that point, and then, then we go up into the mountains, and uh, they have very narrow roads, and they go circularly around the mountain up and around the mountain down. Only they didn't get their driver's license in Minnesota down there. They went much faster, and it went at high rates of speed. And every about a mile, there's these little floral arrangements that were memorials to people who had died on that road. And so it just got, you know, it was a little imposing. And as, as, as we went up, we got up, and then we were coming down, and I get a little car sick if I'm in the back of a, of a car that I'm driving, and we're going fast and swinging around. And finally I said, we got to stop. So Larry found his place to stop, and, and then I, I puked all over the place. And uh, how many know when you're really sick, but when you finally get to let it go, it feels so much better? So I felt a little bit better at that point. And then finally we made it to the bottom of the mountain and back out to the beaches of Puerto Vallarta and had a wonderful week of ministry, both in the services and on the beach. Thank you, Jesus. Then we went back after seven days and jumped in a plane and came back to beautiful, cold Minnesota. 
Now, many of you have had experiences or trips where you've gone somewhere and, and while you were there, it was kind of a, a moment, a gift for you where you felt free and you felt open and you felt able to dream again and the stress of life was kind of lowered down and then you had to go back. Well, life and following Jesus is much like the story I just described to you. You're going to have moments where you land and it's smooth and you're going through various moments that are just checkpoints, but then you're gonna go up a mountain and then you're gonna go down a mountain and then you're gonna have some beach experiences and go back. It's never static. And one of the things about uh, the unrealistic uh, expectations that we can have of, of our walk with God is that somehow when you say yes to Jesus, everything is just gonna be smooth from here on. How many know it's the opposite sometimes, right? You still have life experiences. You still have pains and struggles, and, and there's moments of trepidation. But the reality is that it's not about the destination that you get to. It's about listening to his voice and, and listening to the story of where God wants us to be. We enjoyed our trip down to Puerto Vallarta because we were where we were supposed to be. It wouldn't have been as enjoyable if we were meant to be somewhere else. And for you and I, we need to be where Jesus wants us to be and not get caught up in the destinations or the momentary experiences that we're going through. Each stage is important, important and each assignment has a location. And we have to learn to trust, listen, and move when he says to move. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 17 because we're going to discover what the disciples experience during that, their time of, of following Jesus and how as they followed him, they had to go through somewhat similar type of things of what I just described. See, the disciples were following him. They'd seen miracles. They'd seen a whole lot of things going on. And then Jesus plucks three of them out of the crowd. And he says, I want you to go with me. Look at verse one, Matthew 17, six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. Let me just mention here, Peter is a unique individual in the, the disciples. He's a guy that does things first and thinks later. How many have somebody like that in your life? How many of this, they're sitting right next to you right now? <laughs> so Peter's a doer. He thinks he's passionate. And, uh, and I'm thankful that God... Uh, it, that Jesus was patient with him, that he didn't give up on him. That uh, for me, I like to do things. I might be impulsive at times. So I'm thankful that even in my mistakes, he still believed in me. Peter's in this story. Then James and John are two guys that are brothers who had hung out with Jesus, but they were rather ambitious. And the fact that they were ambitious, uh, they wanted great things. Jesus didn't shut that down. In fact, at one point, uh, they were coaxed by mom to ask the question of who's going to sit at your right hand and your left hand. In other words, who's going to be the most powerful in your kingdom? And Jesus had to show them a different way to understand life and the kingdom of God and how the servants go first. And uh, the greatest of all is the servant of all. But James and John were not excluded from an experience we're going to read about continuing here because they were ambitious. Just because people want great things and they're a little bit unrealistic about their dreams. Jesus doesn't shut your dream down. He's patient with you. He's really patient. How many are thankful he's patient? Because if, if we were leading us, we would give up on us, but he never gives up on us. Let me keep going. I'm starting to preach my message ahead of time. 
So he led them up the mountain, up the mountain to be alone. So they go up this mountain. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. And suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. By the way, Moses and Elijah, this is the first time they appear in the New Testament. They've long since gone on. And here they show up in this story. It's amazing. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. They're like, I can't believe I get to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. And the disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. And then Jesus came over and touched them and said, Get up. <laughs> he said, Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus. I want you to catch just a few things here because this story could be the story of our everyday life. Now, I'm not saying that everybody's going to have a Mount of Transfiguration experience, but the things that happened to Peter, James, and John with Jesus are actually kind of types of the experiences that we have. See, Jesus led Peter, James, and John up the mountain. He's the one that led them there. And the fact that they got to go there it was, it was a cool deal. But why did he pick those three and not someone else? Why not the other disciples? We don't know the answer to that. We could ask Jesus someday, amen? But we don't know at this moment. But the truth is, it's a great story. There are people in your life that are going to have mountaintop experiences, great things going on, and you're not with them at the moment. And you could say, well, what's wrong with me? And you need to stop saying what's wrong with me or stop pointing out what's wrong with them and just realize it's not my season to go through the mountaintop. It's not my turn. Jesus has his own plan for me. And for them, they're on the mountaintop right now. But how many know life has a way that, uh, that, that things change up? That one moment you're here and the next moment you're in the valley. And so for, for Peter, James, and John, this is their moment to go up the mountain, and Jesus chose for them to go up. Now, you say, well, why did he choose for them to go up? And I would just say this. I don't know, but there is one thing I do know. Jesus always has a purpose for the why and when of our mountaintop experiences. He always has a purpose there's a reason, and it may not be about now. It might be about later. As a matter of fact, Peter, James, and John became the leaders of the New Testament church after Jesus was resurrected and ascended into heaven. They had purposes beyond the moment. And Jesus, as the good discipler, the mentor, he takes them through an experience that would help them far later on. I use that term mountaintop experience, which is, is kind of like a, uh, a euphemism, if you will, for life's great moments, things that we feel good about. And mountaintop experiences actually come out of the scripture because so many of the Old Testament stories and then New Testament stories of God meeting with people were on the top of a mountain. Mount Moriah, God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac only to find that God provided a ram as a substitute. Mount Horebor, also known as Sinai, Moses met with God at the burning bush and was commissioned to lead the people into Egypt. 
Later on, on that same mountain, Mount Moses receives the Ten Commandments, and afterwards his face shone with a bright light. It was on Mount Carmel that Elijah challenged the false prophets of Baal. God demonstrated he was the true God. At Mount Horeb, Elijah ran for his life, and God met with him in the still, small voice. At Mount Zion it was the place where, or of course, David built the city of Jerusalem. Everybody in the scripture that met on the mountain had an experience with God. But I don't even think it's limited mountaintop experiences to what we see in the scripture. We have mountaintop experiences. I mean, let's think back, if you will, all the way back to when you were in kindergarten. How many can even remember that? You went through kindergarten. You were so excited. You perhaps were either dropped off, walked to school, or you got to ride the bus. And the day came when you graduated from kindergarten. It was the ultimate mountaintop experience. People were taking pictures of you. There was a party for you. And the reward that you got was what? First grade. <laughs> and then years later, you got to go to eighth grade graduation. You were going into high school. And then you go through all the high school. And you finally hit the moment of high school graduation. Some of you are dreaming of that still. Some of our high schoolers in here. But you finally hit that moment, it is the ultimate party. You're done with senioritis. You actually are free from the bondages of slavery that you've been tied to for your entire life. And you feel as though it is your moment in the sun. And then you either had to go to school or go to work. Hello. It was over. See, we all have moments. For you, it could be a promotion on a job. It could be a breakthrough in a relationship. It could be Friday, every Friday, when you can say, I, I get to go home for the weekend. Vacations can be mountaintop experiences. And when you go on a vacation, you get away, and you can think, and you look down on the valley of your life, and things that seemed so big before now seem so small. Spiritually, you could have mountaintop experiences, missions trips or retreats where God opens up your life and you experience a significant revelation by God. Mountaintop experiences provide a different perspective. See, when you get to get moments where God gives you perspective, it's not just a perspective change. It's also kind of a, a settling in your soul. It's going to be okay. I'm going to make it. I can go to first grade. I can make it through life. We need mountaintop experiences and we need perspective where our eyes are open to see what we could not see before. For Peter, James, and John, their mountaintop experience was an epic peak into the eternal. They were stepping into something they didn't see on an ordinary basis. It says, as the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. He transformed right in front of him. It was like something you would see on a movie. It's something that happened to Moses on a mountain. And it was as if time and space opened up and they were all one. And as Peter and James watched, they saw Jesus change. And then something happened. It says, suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Now, this would just blow me away. Moses, 
who represented the law in the Old Testament. To the Jew, Moses was the most prolific figure of all the Old Testament scripture. For he gave them the law. He was the great deliverer out of Egypt. He was the leader. And here Moses is there. And by the way, Moses died before leading the people into the promised land because of his disobedience. And he had disobeyed God and struck the rock when God had not told him to strike a rock. And so he didn't get to go in. But now we find in the Mount of Transfiguration in this story, guess who's there in the promised land? Moses. He made it. Come on. More ways than one. He made it into eternity and he made it into the physical promised land. But then on top of that, Elijah is there. And Elijah represents all of the prophets of the Old Testament. He was the one that would prepare the way for the Messiah. He was uh, talking about it and doing it. And so there was a representation of these two figures. Why didn't he pick David? And why didn't he pick Abraham? And why didn't other people show up? How many know Jesus probably could have talked to anybody he wanted to? But these were important for Peter, James, and John to see because they all pointed toward Jesus. And see, in the moment of the story of what God was doing in their life, they had to be reminded that life is much larger than the segment that they can see. These people who had died thousands of years before, Elijah, who was ascended, never died. Those people, they were people that actually were still alive. I want to give you hope. How many of you have a loved one that's gone to be with the Lord? This kind of story can remind you that in the middle of your life, that, hey, there's more to this life than this one. I love what our founding pastor used to say. He said, that this is not the land of the living, the next one is. Amen? There's an eternity that we can rep- recognize. And then so Peter responds, he's blown away, and he said, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. <laughs> That's just a kind of an amazing statement, because he's like, I can't believe I get to be here. I can't believe it. I get to be here. When you're in your mountaintop experience, you're like, Woohoo! Now, there are various uh, dimensions of that. I felt that way when the Denver Broncos won the Super Bowl last year. Praise the Lord. A year and a half ago. I was like, yes, yes. This is amazing. And it was temporary, though. That was temporary stuff. But then there's moments like I'll never forget being bowing before the Lord at a, at a youth retreat when I was in high school. And I felt a connection to God the Father that I never felt. And I felt him talking to my heart. And I bowed my knee. And I cried. And I didn't, I'm not a crier. I cried for a couple hours as there was intimate connection between me and my creator. And there was something about that in the middle where I just went, I just want to be here. I can't believe I get to do this. How many of you that have... Maybe you've had a past that you'd not like to brag about and things that you've done. And you can't believe that Jesus saved you. You can't believe that you get to be involved in life and the story of God's mission. It's a joy to be a a servant of the Lord, isn't it? It's powerful. This is the way Peter was. He says, wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, in this crazy moment... He just kind of blurts out, I want to run to Home Depot, and I want to get the materials, and I want to build the shelter. And and you're like, dude, recognize the moment. But he's a doer, so he wants to keep, he wants to do something, and so he wants to create. And by the way, it's not that all illogical for a Jew 
to want to do that thing because the, the festival of the tabernacles was a, a biblical practice. They would celebrate with the tents. There was something that would happen. It wasn't that illogical. But he was kind of in the moment locking in and he wants to build these shelters. But at the underlying uh, uh, theme of why he wanted to do that, Peter was looking to extend his mountaintop experience. See, what he wanted to do is he wanted to keep it. He wanted to keep it for himself. Let's keep it going to hold on to it longer than he probably should have. See, the moment, the, the, the epic moment that Jesus was providing was not meant to be forever. It was meant to be a specific time and space. And in human nature, we want to hold on to it. We want to keep it. I want to keep this moment forever. I don't want to let go. I don't want to lose it. And I want to hold on to it. That's why in the scripture, there was uh, uh, stories like when, when God would feed the Israelites in the desert, he would give them manna in the morning. They would, if they were to put it in jars and try to keep it, it would spoil before the next day. But with God, he's not interest, interested in us holding on to something. He wants us to get fresh each and every day. Amen. See, we can love the experience for how we feel and become addicted to the sensory kickback. This is ultimately where I'm heading today. Because I, as I look at the overall Christian landscape and I think about even our church story, we will proclaim the truth that God heals, that you can be in his presence, that we need to stay in love with Jesus and we need to be in the holy of holies. But the absolute biblical reality of, of life is this. We need to realize that we need to love him and accept his assignments more than we love the gifts that he gives us. And we can mistake the gift for God. We can mistake the moment for God and miss the fact that he has things in the future for us that are outside of that experience. See, there is a need for us to move on and God is interested in us holding on to what he's given us. He wants us to remain available to listen to his voice. He does not want us to love ourselves more than him. Second Timothy 3, Paul warns of a day coming. He says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They'll be boastful and proud and scoffing at God and disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They'll consider nothing sacred. Boy, does that sound like today. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and say this with me, love pleasure rather than God. Friends, when we want God and we want his experience and we want his healing and we want, his, we want everything that God has for us, we need to remember that we love God more than what he gives to us. Because when we enter a different part of our story, when we leave the road and go on the windy road of a mountain, or we have to experience something that's more like a desert, or we have no sensory kickback, we need to remember that we love God more than what he gives us. I'm about to preach up on you. You don't even know it. So Peter's there and he's wanting to retain it by building tabernacles. And it says, but even as he spoke, a bright light overshadowed them. It's almost like in the soundtrack, 
Peter's voice got really quiet and God the Father's voice got really loud. Overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. See, the Father confirms that Jesus is the one to follow, not the sign and wonder. And sometimes he's got to interrupt us to remind us of that, to set us straight. How many of you, God has interrupted you and set you straight a time or two? That's what happens. And Peter wants to hold on to his feelings, his direct connection to Moses and Elijah and Jesus. But the Father reminds us that we are to love God more than the signs or the mountaintop experience that he sends us. If I were to get on 35 and try to head to Duluth and go north, there would be signs on the side of the road that would say how, how many miles it is until we reach Duluth. That sign only keeps me encouraged to keep going. I'm on the right road. But when it comes to signs and wonders and the experiences of God, God doesn't want us to pull off the road and worship the sign. The sign is only there to keep us going. Friends, when you have moments with God, epiphanies with God, God moments, if you will, and you experience him and your feelings are involved and perhaps you cry or perhaps you feel moved, those are great, but there are also challenges for you to keep going, to not stop, to not want that sign forever, to not want that moment forever, but to remember it's only there to keep me going because my ultimate destination is still ahead. Can I get an amen? The danger of religion is that we judge life based on our feelings, not on his truth. The father says to Peter, James, and John, listen to Jesus, not the sign or the experience. See, we need to worship and love the creator more than the signs that we're looking for. Romans 1 says that there are a group of people that says that instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look more like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise, amen. See, we need to remember to not worship the creation, but to worship the creator. Peter, James, and John got it right. It says the disciples were terrified and they fell face down on the ground. They worshiped. They stopped turning it into a party and they went to their faces because they recognized God was there. You know, prayer opens things, but worship opens you. Prayer opens things, but worship opens you. There's a power to stopping and stop debating all the crazy stuff going on, trying to figure everything out, and trying to push God with our agenda. There's a moment when we stop and we worship, and it opens us up for the truth that God wants to bring us. Jesus stops the mountaintop of experience at this point. It says, then Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus. You know, I believe that sometimes Jesus just has to come alongside. We've been in the bottom, on our knees, on our face. 
and we like where life is, or maybe we're holding on to even our hurt or our bitterness or our pity parties, or it could be whatever, when Jesus has to come along and say, get up. Do you think maybe today Jesus might be saying to you, it's time to get up? It's time to get up and get ready for the next thing I have for you. It's time to come off the bench or the shelf. It's not the season to sit and watch everybody else do everything. Maybe he's calling you to get up. Everybody say, get up. Turn to the person next to you and say, hey, get up. <laughs> so he tells them to get up. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone and they saw only Jesus. You know, when all the feelings are gone and all the emotional moment, you know, we had a great service here last uh, Sunday night, beautiful presence of the Lord in the sanctuary. And after it was all done and people went and left, and it felt a little different once everyone had left. You know, it's okay after the movie's over because you still have Jesus. And as long as you have Jesus, you have everything. He's taken you up the mountain. He's given you a different perspective. He's reminded you that eternity is real. But now it's time to leave the movie and get busy with his plan. You see, there is a purpose at the bottom of the mountain. The bottom of the mountain is purpose. Jesus has an assignment for you. Your valleys matter. For you and I, what's at the bottom of the mount is the mundane, ordinary, everyday stuff. Your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, they matter to God. They're so important to him that he himself gave us the model of how to work. In Genesis, when God created the heavens and the earth, he worked for six days and then he rested. For God, work is important. Your work matters to God. Whether it be at school, come on somebody, or you're assigned to work at home or you're assigned to work in the community around you there is work to do at the bottom of the mountain it's time for Christians who have spent time with Jesus to stop resisting your job your school the place where he's assigned you and recognize that he's got a purpose for you at the bottom of the mountain come on somebody it matters there's a purpose it says in verse 14 at the foot of the mountain a large crowd was waiting for them. A man came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. And Jesus said, You're, you faithless and corrupt people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. And then Jesus rebuked the demon and the boy, and it left him. And from that moment, the boy was well. My purpose this morning was not to talk about why the disciples could not cast the demon out or to heal the boy. My purpose is to, for you and I to recognize Jesus didn't want to stay on the mountain because he cared about the little boy. And he said, I got to go down to the bottom of the mountain, and we need to follow Jesus where he's leading us. And if we walk with Jesus and talk with Jesus, that time will come like it did with the disciples when he was ascended and they were left and they had the Holy Spirit in each other, that they, they became the ones that walked alongside the little boys and saw them set free. They became the ones used of God. See, your story is a growing story. If you keep walking in faith, God has greater challenges and greater opportunities for you ahead. You just have to trust them along the way. If I've got Jesus, I have 
have everything. See, the supernatural is preparation for our purpose. When you have moments with God, when you have mountaintop experiences, they are meant to propel you into your purpose in the valley. There is purpose for you. Most of life is lived in the valley. That's where things grow in the valley. And whatever happens in church isn't just for you. It's about the people in your valley. Friends, we can't keep all of our experiences in this building. We need to take our mountaintop moments and use them to meet the need right outside the door. We need to see what God has called us to. The neighbors, the co-workers, the classmates. Jesus cares about those people around you. And your prayer as you come together with the people of God and worship God can't only be God heal me, God change me, God help me. It also has to become God you're already healing me. You're already changing me. You're already with me. I want you to reach my neighbor, my friend who's away from you. They're going through a difficult experience. I need your peace in their life too. Lord, let my mountaintop translate to an experience with God for them in the valley. Jesus says, keep going in verse 20 in Matthew 17. If you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Say that last part with me. And nothing will be impossible for you. Friends, when we walk with him, we have the promise from Jesus himself that he will take our mountaintop and he will translate it into our valley. He will be with us. And if we follow him, we can have faith to see the impossible become possible. Friends, this next week we have Super Sunday and we're believing in God that he will take impossible lives. People that would never go to church otherwise. People that are away from God and not only will they hear a good talk, but their lives will be transformed. That's the promise that we hope for every time that we gather. That's the hope that I have as your pastor that God would do a dynamic work in all of our lives. Not just for the moment, not just because your name is already written in the Lamb's book of life otherwise hey take me home now Jesus we got work to do we need God to move in the twin cities we need to move in our neighborhoods we need him to break into the schools we need God to move in the impossible ways can I get an amen I told you I'm about to preach up on you so let me ask the question perhaps God has given you a dream during one of your moments Are you working toward making that dream a reality or have you given up in the valley? Perhaps God has healed you during one of your moments. Are you praying and believing for healing for someone else? Maybe God opened your eyes to his glory. Are you sharing who Jesus is with the rest of the world? How can you bring your experience into the valley? As I close today, I want to reaffirm for our Sikh series that we need to continue to seek him, to pay attention to what he shares with us on our mountaintops, to listen for his voice and not worship the signs, and to embrace the valley where Jesus will lead you. I want you, instead of cursing and hating your job, to start thanking God for it. Instead of really hating your boss or the people around you or your teachers, 
pausing and saying, God, thank you for the valley you called me to be in. Would you bless the people around me? Would you turn things around? Embrace that valley and then ask for the faith to see the impossible become possible through Jesus. That's what can happen. Would you stand with me?